Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Uh, this morning our text is Acts 16, verses 25 through 40. But as we come to hear the reading and the preaching of God's Word, let's pray. O Lord, Your Word is truly a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive Your truth in faith and love and strength to follow on the path you set before us, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Acts 16, verses 25 through 40. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, come up and join me. Yeah, all right, come on over, find a spot. There's a few more over here, over here on this side. So let me ask you guys a question. Have you ever been sent to your room when you didn't really do anything wrong? Or or has someone ever treated you badly even though you were being nice to them? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. When you've had a hard day like that and you're finally in bed with the lights out, it's kind of dark in your room, what do you do? 
Oh, well, if it's bedtime and it's lights out time, are, do you kind of think about what happened during the day sometimes? How, how do you feel if it's been a hard day like that? Yeah, kind of, uh, yeah. Well, when we've been mistreated and we're finally in the dark, it's easy for us to think about how we've been hurt. The, the darkness of the room kind of matches the darkness of our feelings. And, and our hearts feel heavy sometimes with sadness. And, and while it's right for us to feel that sadness, what we do with that feeling is really important. What we do with that feeling. Uh, because sometimes we might want to maybe even be a little mad at God for allowing that, those things to happen, those hard things. We might even imagine, we might be afraid, maybe God doesn't really care about me. And we might sit alone in our thoughts and kind of hold on to those heavy feelings. But in that story from Acts that, that we just read, we see Paul and Silas doing something unexpected after their hard day. Remember, they had helped someone and then they got in trouble for it. They did something good, but then they got beaten with wooden rods, treated like criminals. And they had to sit in the dark, not in the dark of their bedroom in a nice comfy bed. They sat in the dark of a prison. And did you hear what they did? They, they didn't blame God. No, they prayed to God and they sang to Him. Whatever it was that they were feeling, they didn't hold on to it alone. They took what they were feeling and they brought it to God. They, they prayed and they sang because they were sure about something. They were sure that Jesus understood what they were going through. They talked to him about their day because Jesus knows exactly what it is like to be accused of being false when he's actually true. To, Jesus knows what it's like to be treated like a criminal when he's only ever done what is good and right. Because of our sins, Jesus was treated like a criminal and killed. And his body had once laid in a dark tomb. But Jesus had passed through death into life again so that he could rescue all of his people. And so instead of believing that God did not care about them, they sang songs to praise Jesus as the one who has already proven that God does care about us. And their faith in Jesus gave them hope even in the dark. They knew that following Jesus means being treated, even sometimes mistreated, the same way that Jesus was. But they also knew that while Jesus does not always save us from hard things happening, He always will save us through those hard things. And it's the same for you and me. When you're in your room at night and those heavy feelings are on you, talk to your Heavenly Father about them, knowing that Jesus is right there beside Him. And He understands perfectly what you're feeling because He went through it Himself. When we remember that Jesus has been through everything that we experience, even death, but He's now alive and still very much committed to saving us, then we, like Paul and Silas, we can sing, even in the dark. And that's another reason 
why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right, thanks guys. You can go back to your seats. If you haven't already done so, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. We are again uh, looking at Paul's ministry there in Philippi, uh, this time uh, focusing on verses 25 through uh, 40, uh, which recount the story of, uh, of Paul's dealings with the Philippian jailer. You'll remember that last Sunday we, we saw that the one who was with Paul and the one who was with us, uh, the God who was with Paul is far greater than any power, spiritual or human, that may oppose him or, or any of his servants. We, we saw this in the way that, that Paul commanded the evil spirit to come out of the slave girl. And then again, in the way that uh, God set him free from the, the stocks and the, uh, the prison in which he had been uh, unjustly confined. And we saw also how, how desperately we need to know this truth. For while we may not yet be threatened with beatings and imprisonment, as Paul was, there is no doubt that, uh, that we live in a world that is becoming increasingly hostile towards Christianity and towards Christ, and that uh, the, uh, the opposition that we face is certainly growing. And so we need to know that the one who is with us is greater than any who may ever stand against us. But this morning, I want us to focus on the fruit of that faith. What is the fruit of, of knowing God to be the Lord Almighty? What is the fruit of knowing uh, that God is greater than any who may oppose us? How, how does this faith transform our lives? And we will see this first in uh, Paul and Silas's praying and, and singing as they are there, uh, confined in the stocks in the inner prison. We will then see it again in their decision not to escape after God miraculously opens the prison doors and loosens their bonds. And third, we will see it in the transformed life of the jailer who, who asks Paul, what must I do to be saved? And so let's begin with Paul and Silas praying and singing there in prison. We, we see it in verse 25. We're told about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And of course, you remember that this was after uh, they had been beaten, uh, after they had been confined to the stocks, uh, after they had been imprisoned uh, with, without trial, without due process, with, with only false accusations against them. There, in the prison, at midnight, they are praying and singing. It is an amazing scene. But I wonder sometimes if it's a scene that is not often misunderstood. Because I wonder, what, what sort of songs do you imagine them singing? What are, the, what are the songs that they are lifting up to the Lord? What is the, the substance of the prayers that they are offering? As I've heard this text uh, described and, and proclaimed in various contexts, the, the impression is often given that they are singing you know, what we might call sort of happy, clappy camp songs. That this is just a time of great joy. That they were completely immune to uh, the, the evils that they had endured. And I want to suggest to you that that is not a helpful way to think about what is going on here. 
Paul and Silas are not immune to what they have endured. Rather, they have faith in the midst of what they have endured. And yes, they are singing songs to the Lord, but I, but I wonder if these songs are not uh, more akin to Negro spirituals than they are to the happy, clappy camp songs that we sometimes imagine. Just go through the Psalms and, and try to imagine which of the Psalms they might have been singing. If you have your Bibles, you can, you can turn there. Just, just briefly, we're going to be coming back to, to Acts, but, but you, you recognize that the, the book of Psalms opens with Psalm 1 and 2, which is often considered uh, an introduction. And then immediately, uh, we have uh, the David crying out to God, O oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many are rising against me? Many are saying, I mean, there is no salvation for him in God. Or, or Psalm 4, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. In the past you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me now and hear my prayers. Or again, Psalm 5, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. And we could go on. This week I, I happened to be reading in uh, Psalm 22, uh, which is familiar to all of us because it is a psalm that Jesus himself quotes as he is uh, upon the cross. Oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. What is, what is the psalmist doing there? The psalmist is exclaiming the, the truth of his groaning, the truth of his pain, the truth of his suffering, and even the truth of, of his own blindness to the presence of God. He's saying, Lord, it feels like I've been abandoned. And yet I know, what do I know? I know that you are enthroned on the praises of your people. You are present with your people when they praise you. And are you our fathers trusted and you delivered them? You proved to be true. They cried to you and you rescued them. Those who call upon you are never put to shame. He's, he's returning, the psalmist is returning to what he knows, as we so often do in our worship services. He is, he is proclaiming what he knows to be true, even if maybe he's not feeling it in the moment. And we could go on, we could, we could work our way through the entire Psalter. There are some, some very upbeat, happy psalms that we could sing. We could imagine Psalm 100 on the lips of, of Paul, but I wonder if it is not more realistic to imagine Psalm 22, or Psalm 31, or, or Psalm 61, or, or some of these other psalms where, where the psalmist cries out in his anguish and says, Lord, I know you are faithful. I know you are trustworthy. I know you have saved your people in the past. And so therefore, I am entrusting myself to you. Come to my rescue because I am in anguish. Tears have been my food all night long. I wonder if that's the substance of the songs that they are singing. Songs that, that express the reality of their condition, but also remind their own souls of the reality of God's presence with his people and of his power to save. And I wonder if that's not what they are praying for. Lord, come to my rescue. Make haste to help me. Deliver me from this pit. 
You see, I think that's what's, what's going on here. We, we must not misinterpret this, uh, this scene as if uh, Paul and, and Silas were somehow immune. They are not immune to the, the sufferings that they have endured. But in the midst of those sufferings, they are returning to what they know. In the midst of those sufferings, they are praising God for who he is and for what he has promised to do. And they are crying out for him to be faithful to them in the midst of this current process. They are, as the psalmist so often does, entrusting themselves to the Lord. They are committing their souls to him. That is the the significance of their praying and and their praise. And in that, they are a model for us. You see, faith in God's power does not mean pretending that our suffering isn't real or that it's not that bad. As you've heard me say so often, in this present evil age, we will groan. We will experience the suffering of this life, and sometimes that we will experience that suffering specifically because we are following after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But in the midst of that reality, faith means we do not lose heart. Faith doesn't mean we pretend it's not happening or that it's not that bad. But rather, faith means we do not lose heart because we know that the one who is with us is greater than than any threat that stands against us. Any power that might oppose us is ultimately under his power, is ultimately under his control. He is the sovereign Lord, even in this. And he is working all things according to the counsel of his will for the good of those who love him. That is the the reality of our faith. And so what is the fruit of faith? The fruit of faith is not pretending that everything's okay. The fruit of faith is entrusting yourself to the Lord when things are not okay. The fruit of faith is entrusting yourself to the Lord when you are suffering, when you are groaning, when tears have been your food all night long. When trial comes, we must return to what we believe. We must praise God for who He is. And we must commit our souls into his fatherly care. That's the challenge of this scene. That's the the challenge of this text. And so let me ask you, how well do you do this? How well do you entrust yourself to the Lord in the midst of the trial? I think most of us struggle, at least somewhat. (laughs) Most of us are are like the, the kids in that when the Lights go out at the end of the night after a hard day. We tend to ruminate on what we've suffered. And we tend to feel sorry for ourselves. We focus on what we're feeling rather than what we know to be true. This isn't something that just happens. The, the, the fruit of faith doesn't just appear. It, it must be cultivated. And we cultivate this faith by practicing what we see Paul and Silas here doing. We we cultivate the fruit of faith by by practicing entrusting ourselves to the Lord. You you see, the Christian life is not often, is not always something that just happens naturally. It's, It's something that we must 
give ourselves to intentionally. And I don't know, I don't know if Paul and Silas had to sort of make an intentional choice to to flip the switch, to to turn away from from self-pity and to say, no, we're going to praise the Lord in this. Or or if by this point in their lives it it was second nature. I don't know. Maybe it was second nature for Paul, but Silas was just learning even as he sat next to Paul in the stocks. But Paul learned it at some point. Silas learned it at some point, and they learned it by practicing. And we must learn it the same way. We must make an intentional choice that when we suffer, when we face the the hardships of this life, that we will praise, we will sing, we will, we will take the psalms upon our lips. We will remember what is true of, of the God who is for us and the God who has rescued us. And we will cry out to him for the salvation that he, is, he has promised. In the midst of our suffering, we must train ourselves to sing and to pray. Because it is there that we will find the joy of our salvation. It is there that we will find that peace that surpasses all understanding, is when God's word is dwelling in us richly that we will know the peace that he has promised to his people. We must practice entrusting ourselves to the Lord. Because that's what we see Paul and Silas doing here, and that is the fruit of faith in the God who is almighty. The God who who does whatever he pleases, the God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So if this is something that you struggle with, know that you're in good company. You're sitting amongst people who I promise you struggle with you. But let us together practice. Let us together choose to intentionally bring to our lips the the words of the psalmist and to, to cry out to God in prayer when the sufferings of this life come and they will come. As I said, we may not yet be beaten with rods. We may not yet find ourselves in prison, but we will suffer. We will groan. And when we do, let us return to what we know. Let us sing praises to the Lord and let us call out to him for the salvation that he has promised. It's the first thing we see in this text. We we see the the fruit of, of Paul and Silas singing and praying there in prison. But it's not the only fruit we see in this passage. I think the second thing that we see in this passage is is Paul and Silas' decision not to escape when God miraculously opened the doors of their prison. I think this too is is rooted in faith in God's power. Uh, We we see there in verse 26 that, that as they were there singing and praying, an earthquake came, Uh, the doors were opened, their, their bonds were loosed, But Paul and Silas decide not to leave. They decide not to walk out the open door. Now we know it would not have been wrong for them to escape because we have seen God miraculously open the doors of prisons before and when they did, uh, Peter walked out. Not just once, but but twice. He he escaped first in chapter 4 and then again in, in chapter 12. 
So what is it that keeps Paul seated there in jail rather than escaping? Well, one possibility is that, is that by staying, he was going to save the jailer's life. Certainly that's what we see come, right? Uh, when, when the jailer realizes that the doors are opened and when the jailer uh, realizes that the, the prisoners are almost certainly gone, he, he takes out his sword to, to kill himself, we're told. Now that seems extreme to us, but you have to remember he was going to die anyway. If, if you lost your prisoners, especially prisoners who the magistrates had said to, to keep extra secure in the inner prison, then, then you were going to lose your life. We actually saw that in uh, chapter 12 when, when Peter escaped. His guards were, were put to death by Herod. And so the, the jailer knows that his life is forfeit and he would prefer to, to, to die himself upon his own sword than the public shame and humiliation of being put to death by the magistrates. But of course, Paul calls out to stay his hand, say, no, we are still here. We're all still here. Not only did Paul and Silas not escape, but the other prisoners stayed with them. But while that was the, the joyous outcome of Paul and Silas's staying, I'm not sure it's the reason that they stayed, but rather I think the reason that they stayed uh, becomes clear in verses 35 through 40. Look there with me. In verse 35, we're told that when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. Now, this had nothing to do with the earthquake, but rather this had probably been the plan all along. They had beaten them and thrown them in jail for the night, thinking that a, a, a good beating and a night in jail will, will convince them that it's time to move on from Philippi. This is what the, the magistrates had in mind. They were going to protect the, uh, the peace and good order of their city by, by forcing these men to leave. But Paul and Silas say they will not simply go. Instead, they demand to be escorted out of the prison because they had been unjustly beaten and imprisoned. As Roman citizens, they had a right to due process. As Roman citizens, it was, it was illegal for the magistrates to, to beat them publicly without trial. It was illegal for the, for the uh, magistrates to, to hold them in the stocks overnight. And Paul presses those rights to, to say that the magistrates cannot get rid of us so easily. We're not going to just slink away uh, after our beating, but rather we need the magistrates to come and to escort us out of the prison. But what's going on here? It, it reads to us something uh, a little bit like, like petty revenge, like, like Paul wants to shame the magistrates for having mistreated him. But I, I don't think that's what's going on here. That wouldn't be consistent with, with Paul's character. But rather, I think that Paul is thinking missionally here. He's, he's thinking of the new believers who have, who have come to faith through his time at the, the place of prayer outside the city. He recognizes that if he simply left, if he simply got out of Philippi when he had uh, the chance, then the legal standing of those believers would be jeopardized. Remember, Paul was, was uh, imprisoned and, and beaten for promoting customs that were illegal for Romans to practice. And so if he just leaves... Then, then it is implied that all those who are now following the, the Lord who Paul proclaimed are also uh, enemies of the state. They are enemies of the empire. They are, they are doing things that it's illegal for Romans to do. And so Paul does not want the, uh, the, the church there to be uh, under uh, legal threat. He, he recognizes that they're already going to have enough trouble from the, from the Jews and from others who, 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 uh, who hate this Messiah whom he proclaims. 
But in order to establish, in order to protect the, uh, the, the legality of this new church, Paul demands that the magistrates come and, and acknowledge their wrong in imprisoning him. So what does this mean for us? What do, we, what do we learn from Paul here pressing his rights as a Roman citizen? We'll see him do this again, of course. But what do we learn from it here? One thing I think we can learn from this is that it shows us that it is not wrong. It is not a failure of faith in God's power for Christians to make use of the legal protections that are available to them in their context. It's not wrong for us to, to use the rights that are ours of citizens of the state. In fact, it may be good for us to do so for the sake of the church at large. We, we can imagine a Christian being arrested for hate speech. We can imagine that because we've seen it in, in places not too far away. And we've, we've heard that language used even in our own context. And so it's, it's, it was not wrong for, for Christians to, to use the, the rights afforded to us as U.S. citizens of, of free speech to press against that kind of injustice. It's not Christians, because we believe in an almighty God, do not have to simply lay down and take whatever oppression comes against them. That's not always what faith looks like. Faith does enable us to endure when we're called to endure. But there are situations where it is right to, to press against the oppression. Similarly, uh, it, it is right and good. We, we, it is right and good for us to attempt to uh, protect those who are, who are being uh, persecuted unjustly. Again, you can, you can think of, of situations. We, we, we mentioned last week the, uh, the baker and the photographer whose, whose businesses were threatened because of of intolerance, intolerance of, of Christianity and of Christians practicing their, their faith. And again, faith in God does not mean simply taking whatever mistreatment might come. Now, we do have to understand that, that, that Christians must be ready to endure when the mistreatment comes. We can endure when the mistreatment comes, but we do not always have to endure. There is a place for, for pressing our rights, not only for our own protection, but for the good of Christ's name and the good of his church in the land. Now, it's not always easy to determine which is right. Is it, is it right to endure or is it right to push back? It's not always easy to, to determine which is best. And we, and we never push back simply out of fear for our lives or out of uh, self-interest, but, but rather for the glory of God's name and for the good of his church. There are times when, when we can press back against those who would oppress us. So this is the second thing we see about the, the fruit of faith. The fruit of faith means that when the persecution comes, we can entrust ourselves to the Lord. But entrusting ourselves to the Lord does not always mean doing nothing. There is a, there is a time to, to push back. And we must seek the, the wisdom of the Lord to know which is right. I think that's what we, we see here in this text. But it's not only the, uh, we don't only see the fruit of faith in the life of Paul, we also see it in the transformed life of the jailer. This is the, uh, the third point that we uh, want to notice this morning. Look, look again 
uh, at this, uh, at what happens in the life of, of the jailer there. Uh, we're we're going to look more closely at his conversion next Sunday. In fact, we're going to look more closely at his conversion over the next several Sundays. We're going we're to consider what, does the, what is this salvation that he is talking about and how is it received. We're going to do a, a sort of topical study of, of salvation uh, for the next several weeks. But, but this morning, I want us to focus more on the fruits of his conversion. And notice what he does. First, he washes their wounds. Next, he and his household are, are baptized. Third, they, he, he brings these prisoners into his house and feeds them at his table. And fourth, we're told simply that he and his household rejoice. They, they are filled with the joy of this new salvation. And I think each of these details is important. First, think about the significance of him washing their wounds. To us, that seems like sort of a, an obvious act of, of compassion. But, but we need to recognize that this would have been, this would have been dangerous. This would, have, this would have brought threat to him. It is difficult for modern readers to understand the danger <coughs> associated with this simple act of kindness, but, but think about what it would have meant for a jailer to wash the wounds of one of his prisoners. It would have or, or, or could have made him look weak, not only to the prisoners, but also to the authorities over him, to the, to the magistrates. He could have looked like a, a sympathizer with those who had been deemed enemies of the state. Washing the wounds was, was not part of the, the, the normal processes in, uh, for those who were imprisoned in that day. And so again, this, this could have put him and his job at jeopardy, if not his life. But his new trust in God, his, his new trust in the Lord God Almighty, the, the Lord who had been with Paul, even in the midst of his suffering, freed him to do this act of justice and kindness without fear. He was able with joy to wash the wounds of the prisoner despite the risks. And notice it would have been similarly dangerous for him to be baptized to be, to be baptized is to, is to be baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here is a, a Roman soldier, a Roman soldier loyal to Rome and to Caesar, being baptized into the name of another Lord. This was always dangerous in the first century. It was, it was always dangerous to, to be baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was always dangerous to confess Jesus as Lord in that, that context. But, but particularly so for a Roman soldier employed by the state to be, to be baptized was a, a sign of allegiance to another. and could have been viewed as treason. But again... Why is he free to receive this mark? Why is he free to allow his, his household to receive this mark? He, he's allowed, they, he has the, the freedom to receive baptism because he knows the one into whose name he is being baptized. He knows that, that the one uh, in whose name he is being baptized is far greater than any power who might oppose him. He's a far greater Lord than Caesar. He is the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. This is, this is the faith. This is the faith of the, the Philippian jailer. And therefore, he is able to, to be identified with Christ, even in the face of risk, even in the face of danger. 
And again, we could say the same thing about him bringing into his house uh, these prisoners and, and feeding them at his table. You know, when we remember the significance of table fellowship in the ancient world, we, we see how radical this is, that, that he would bring them into his home and seat them at his table and feed them his, his food. He is, he is treating them as, as his equals. Here, these, these prisoners of Rome are being seated at the jailer's table. And again, we, we see in this not only the, uh, the, the freedom that the jailer feels to, uh, to associate with, with prisoners, but we, we see how the gospel breaks down those walls of uh, division. It is always risky uh, to, to break down social walls of division. It is always difficult, uh, risky to, to violate the, the social customs in, in that, that separate peoples in a particular place. It always, is a, a, it always brings a, a threat of reprisal or a, a threat of, of rebuke or, or just of derision. And how much more so when it's a, a soldier and a, and a prisoner, and yet the, the jailer is able, again, to, to, to take that risk, to, to claim Paul and Silas as his brothers because he now knows God. And of course it is that knowledge of who God is for him in Christ that is the fountain of his joy. It's the last thing that we, we see here is that the, uh, simply that the jailer is rejoicing. Rejoicing because he knows God. He knows the, the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth. He now knows that this God is with him and for him. And in that knowledge, he cannot but rejoice. It's, it's a picture of what Augustine says in his confessions, that we are restless until we rest in him because we have been made for him. Joy is a, is a mark of the spiritual life. Because in the Spirit, through Christ, we are restored to what we were created for. How many of you are, are restless this morning? How many of you are suffering from, from discontent? How many of you are, are searching for something, even if you don't know exactly what? So many of us live in that restless place. And we need to be reminded that Jesus said, this is life, that you know my Father. Life is not found in the abundance of possessions. Life is not found in, in the multiplication of, of pleasures. Life is not found in the attainment of, of position or, or prestige or, or power. These things do not give life, but rather life is found in knowing God. Life is found in being known by God. Life is, being found, is found in being reconciled and at peace with your heavenly Father. And this is what the gospel offers. That, that true forgiveness that leads to reconciliation, that leads to peace with God. You see, you have received the forgiveness of sins in Christ, not so that you can now live in sin with impunity. No, you have been set free from your sins that you may now be in right relationship with the Father, that you may now glorify Him, that you may now serve Him with joy all your days. This is the fruit of knowing God as the Lord God Almighty, a life of joy, knowing that you can serve Him without fear. Because whatever may come, he will work all things according to the counsel of His will. And His will is good. 
His will is pleasing. His will is perfect for those who love Him. And so this morning we have seen that that knowing God as God, that knowing God as the Lord Almighty, that it freed Paul and Silas to rejoice in trial even while putting the interest of the church ahead of their own. And it freed the jailer to become the servant even of his prisoners with joy. This is the power of faith. This is what faith in the Lord God Almighty looks like. The one who has entrusted himself to the Lord does not lose heart even in the midst of trials when they come. Nor does he cling to his life and and seek to protect it at all costs. But rather the one who knows the Lord God Almighty, he entrusts himself to the Lord and he is freed, freed to serve him and to serve others with joy. And because faith affords such a radical freedom, because faith sets us free to live this radical life, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this picture of faith expressed. Faith expressed in trust. Faith expressed in worship. Faith expressed in, in works of, of kindness, Father. Father God, I pray that you would allow us to see it and that you would allow us to learn from it and you would allow us to bring forth its fruit in our lives all to the praise of your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.